right, good evening, guys. Happy Sabbath. Um, before we get started, let's have a little word of prayer. Father in heaven, uh, I just wanted to thank you for um, all the many blessings that we've received today and this past week. Be with us now as we study your word a little bit. Uh, help us to learn something new. In Jesus' name, amen. So all of us know what it's like to be a young person, um, whether you are one right now or whether you were once. Um, and all of us know that as a young person, it can be difficult, more challenging to overcome temptation. Actually, that's the subject for tonight's topic is overcoming temptation. Specifically as a young person, because we have a mixed company here, kids and adults as well, we'll uh, expand a little bit, just branch out to the different age groups we have. Um, we have our all probably heard this verse before. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. Uh, for by grace we have been saved through faith, uh, not of ourselves. Uh, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And it's true. The beautiful thing is it's true. Every single word of it, praise God. Praise God. But specifically for this age group, I know that sometimes it can be hard to just listen to a verse and accept it. You kind of want practical answers. You want examples. So I'm going to give that to you tonight. It was funny, actually. We asked so many questions in this game we just played about Joseph, and we're going to be talking about him a lot tonight. So let's go ahead and turn to Genesis. Genesis chapter 37. And Joseph gives us a really good example for how to overcome temptation. His whole life is motivated by two different challenging obstacles, to keep up his morale and to stick to his morals. Morale and morals. I think it's pretty easy to remember. So um, we're going to go ahead and look at it, the story of Joseph. And as we go along, just keep in mind those two things, morale and morals, and see which ones he encountered, which temptations he encountered that fit with those two categories. So we start in chapter 37, and we all know the background of Joseph. I'm pretty sure at this point we're all, we've all grown up a lot in the church, and a lot of us have heard these stories growing up many times. You know, we all know about Joseph's coat of many colors. We all know his father favored him. Um, and we all know that he had brothers who hated him because he had this nice coat of colors, and they didn't. It's like, um, some, let's, let's, say, let's say, for example, just as an example, let's say um, Giovanni, he asked his mom for a super fancy tuxedo and because he likes tuxedos. But then she's like, okay, and she gives it to his sister instead. And he's like, really? Like, I'm pretty sure that's how his brothers felt. Joseph's brothers felt this way because Joseph got all the good stuff and they were over here taking care of the sheep and Joseph and Benjamin were being over here being spoiled to death. And Joseph kind of knew it. If we see here, we see here, and this is important, we can come back to this later, but <clears throat> we can see here um, in chapter 37, verses 7 
uh, 6, 6 through 8. He said to them, Please listen to this dream which I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and also stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered round and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Are you actually going to reign over us? Are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Joseph's kind of rubbing it in their faces like, oh, I'm having these dreams, by the way. Like, not only am I blessed by my father and have this really cool coat, but I'm also having cool dreams about the future. And they're pointing to the fact that I'm going to be on top one day and you're going to be bowing to me. And he says this, he has two dreams, one about sheaves and the other about the sun, moon, and stars. And his, even his dad is like, whoa, that's a little too far, son. Like, like you think your mom and I and your brothers are all going to bow down to you one day? Kind of a stretch there. But Joseph kind of rubbed it in his brother's faces a lot. And one day, um, we all know the story, he went down to the field where his brothers were. And you can read it in chapter 37, verses 23 through 28. And it says, So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him, and they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. Then they sat down to eat a meal. How nice. They uh, threw their young little brother in the pit, and now they're just going to sit down and have some food and just listen to him suffer in the pit. How, how nice. That's just amazing. Um, As they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. And Judah, Judah, which is coincidentally the direct ancestor of Jesus, gets this bright idea. He says, oh, hey, guys, um, look, what, what profit is it for us if we, in a, if we just kill him? We want to get rid of him, but if we just kill him, it's, we're not going to get anything in return for it except some peace of mind. But why not just sell him and get some money for it, too? So Judah and his brothers, they do just that. They sell him to the Midianite traders who passed by for 20 shekels of silver. 20 shekels. And thus they brought Joseph to Egypt. And skipping down to verse 36, if you're still with me, it says, Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. And that is how Joseph's story begins. Because Joseph now is faced with a challenge. He can let depression overwhelm him, or he can do well with his life. He can keep his morale up, and he decides to do the latter. He decides to keep depression at bay and come <clears throat> and just trust in God. And it says in Genesis 39, skipping forward a couple chapters, Genesis 39, it says, Now Joseph had been taken to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man. Joseph made the best of a state that is probably not very pleasant. Being the slave of an Egyptian uh, in those days was pretty much the worst. But Joseph decided to do his best. And you can read on there in the, the following verses that Potiphar was so impressed. He said, you know what? I'm going to make you overseer of my whole house to the point where I'm just going to come home every day. And all I have to worry about is sleeping in my bed and eating. I don't have to worry about anything else. And this guy's probably really rich. He's the captain of the guard, like, right next to Pharaoh. Like, 
he's up there with the top uh, head honchos of Egypt. And this guy is probably rich, crazy rich, big house, animals everywhere. Like, and Joseph's in charge of all this, but the, just the fact that he trusts Joseph enough to just not have to worry about anything but eating and sleeping speaks volumes to Joseph's, uh, number one, work ethic, and number two, his ability to move past depressing circumstances and become solid in Christ. Well, I have to say that God was probably impressed by Joseph's uh, work ethic and lack of depression, but there was still some more tests to come. Joseph, Joseph's morals were about to be tested now. In verse 7 of 39, chapter 39, it says, It came about after these events that his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, looked with desire at Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. And we all know the story. This lady keeps, keeps coming after Joseph, saying, Day by day, lie with me, lie with me, lie with me. And Joseph is having none of it. He says, Look, I can't do this. Like, this is just, this, this can't happen because I am in charge of all the household of your husband, and he's, held, he's withheld nothing, absolutely nothing from me to take care of except for you because you're his wife. So I'm not going to have any part of that. Peace out. He leaves, but this lady keeps hounding him until one day she gets close enough where she can try to force him to do what she wants, and Joseph is so unwilling to do that that he flees immediately so fast he leaves behind uh, part of his clothing. And really, I heard that story so, many mu- so much growing up, but it never really sunk in until I, one day I went to an art museum. And art museums are cool, I guess, but <laughs> this one day I went and uh, there was a, a little side room off the, the side where Leonardo da Vinci, um, or was it DiCaprio? I can't remember. Uh, he would uh, go into and paint Bible paintings and everything. Um, and I went inside, and there was like a lot of Bible stories in there. And I remember I saw the one with Potiphar's wife and Joseph. And honestly, didn't really like the painting that much. wasn't anything great to look at. But the one thing I noticed about Joseph was that as he's turning to run, as he's turning to run from Potiphar's wife. He's running so fast. The artist has captured the effect it has on his, his body movement and his hair. His hair has, looks windblown to the side, like he's turning so fast. And I was like, my mind, my mind was blown. I was like, that is incredible. Like the, the reaction time of Joseph to turn away from temptation is insane. I mean, comparatively to like my reaction time, at least. And I know with a lot of people as well. And we all know what happened after that. Joseph got himself in hot water, ended up in prison because Potiphar believed his wife over the man he had trusted his whole household to, which doesn't really make a whole ton of sense. But the now came down to the fact that he is facing a morale issue again. His morale is being challenged again. He, now he's in an even worse position than when he was a slave. He is now in the bottom of an Egyptian prison. And Egyptian prisons are nothing 
Nothing fun. Guaranteed. So he is down there. But you know what he does? Chapter 39 and verse, verse 21. It says, but the Lord was with Joseph. There it is again. God is still with Joseph. He is honoring the fact that Joseph is wanting to be a better person and not let depression sink in. And it says, it says the chief jailer um, was received, he, um, sorry, Joseph received favor from the chief jailer. And the chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. And the chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. And this is exactly the same scenario as in Potiphar's house, except this time he's just in a lower condition, but now he's in charge of a jail, a whole prison instead of a Potiphar's house. And he's, making the, he's continuing to make the best out of these horrible circumstances, even though, honestly, if I were in his position, I might be asking, I might be doing something, some different things. I might be saying, oh, well, look, I try to be good, and this is what I got for it? Really? But no. He refused to think that. He refused to do that. He stayed faithful. But thankfully, it didn't end there. It did not end there. What happened was that he got a chance, an opportunity to interpret the dreams for Pharaoh that Pharaoh was having. And Pharaoh was so impressed that he made him the second command of all Egypt. So after all these hills and valleys Joseph has gone through, he's now reached the peak. He's, he's hit the peak, and it just got better for him because now his brothers, the same ones, the same ones who threw him into a pit and sold him to Ishmaelites, now are coming to him begging for food, and they don't know it's him. They don't know it's him, and this is perfect. This is a perfect opportunity for him to get the sweetest revenge ever recorded in history, and he doesn't. He doesn't. That Notice, and all throughout chapter 42 through 45, that whole section there, he does not once consider getting revenge on his brothers. Instead, all he does is test them and put them in prison for a few days to see if they truly were worthy of his forgiveness. He was willing to forgive them, but he just wanted to make sure that they were worthy of that forgiveness. And it turned out to be true. If we go to chapter 45... I believe. Sorry, 44. My bad. Uh, chapter 44, and it says that, and this is after the test where Joseph leaves a silver cup in Benjamin's sack. And Benjamin, he's the last son that Jacob really cares for, and if something happened to Benjamin, Jacob would probably just die, uh, literally and figuratively, and so Judah knows this. He knows this, and he knows that Benjamin's in trouble. He still doesn't know it's Joseph, and he thinks that Joseph is able to practice divinations and knows everything, and so he falls on his face before Joseph, and notice his words in verse 16. He says, what can we say to my Lord? And what can we even speak? How can we justify ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's slaves, both we and the one in whose possession the cup has been found. And then skipping down to verse 18, it says, 
My Lord, may your servant please speak a word in my Lord's ears, and do not be angry with your servant, for you are equal to Pharaoh. And Judah's absolutely humbled. He is on the ground pleading with his brother and saying, We have an old father and a little child of his old age. Now his brother is dead, so he alone is left of his mother, and his father loves him. And the lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. So take me instead. Judah literally sacrificed himself. This guy is probably now in his 50s, 40s, 50s. He has a family back home. He has kids and a wife. And he's saying, take me because Benjamin is more important to my father than I am. And Joseph, that's the clincher. Joseph knows then. And instead of taking revenge on his brothers, and notice, instead of rubbing it in his brother's faces that they are actually bowing down to him. Remember those dreams he had? Oh, yeah. Remember those dreams I had when I, when I was a kid? Yeah, those, those are coming true right now. You're bowing down in front of me right now. He doesn't do any of that. He simply reveals himself to his brothers, hugs them all, kisses them all, and says, I miss you guys. And you know what? You meant all that stuff for bad back then, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good. And the important thing to take away from Joseph's story and overcoming temptation is this. God, throughout life, will lead you through hills and valleys, hills and valleys. There's hills of success where God puts you into positions where you can be a good influence and you're not as tempted as maybe in other positions, but there will be valleys. There will be times where Things will be threatened. Things of this life will be threatened by temptations and those other things as well. And look, a lot of us will probably never have a Joseph experience per se where you're sold into slavery and become some person's overseer for his house and then uh, get thrown in prison and all this stuff. No, rather we're actually going to be facing challenging days coming up pretty soon. Before Jesus comes, we know that we're going to be facing some of these things, and we need to be ready. We need to be ready because after that, that's the peak. That's the peak. Joseph went through all the hills and valleys and got to the peak, and he stayed there. He stayed there. He didn't come down. I mean, obviously he died like later on when he turned like 120, but the point is, after he went through all those trials and tests, he came out on top. He stayed at the peak of the mountain with God. And that's what's going to happen to us if we are faithful, if we stay strong, if we overcome temptation, if we are willing to turn away as quickly as Joseph did from Potiphar's wife, if we are willing to accept God's gift of grace, which, as I mentioned, is very true aspect of our Christian walk. Ephesians 2, 8, verse 9, 2, uh, 2 verses 8 and 9, again, for by grace we are saved through faith, not of ourselves, lest anyone should boast, not of works either. And that, that's the important message. The, the message of the Bible is all about grace. And all we need to do is just open our Bibles and pray every day. Just stay faithful to God until we get through the hills and valleys and we make it to the peak in heaven and the new earth one day very soon. I want to do that. I know it's going to be hard. I know those hills and valleys are going to be the worst thing ever, but it's all worth it for the end, for the peak. It's all worth it. 
every little aspect of it. And I'm one to go through the hills and valleys to get to the peak. How about you guys? If that's your will, stand with me as we pray. Father in heaven, we come before you right now asking for your grace and your strength to overcome temptation in our daily lives, for your help to get through the hills and valleys of this life so that we can make it to the peak, so we can make it to heaven to be with you for all of eternity. That's something that's not even worth falling for temptation, honestly. It's something that is so beautiful that why would anyone want to sacrifice it for the things of this world? doesn't make any sense to me why people do it, but yet they do it all the time. Because Satan knows the best ways to get our attention. So Lord, I ask that you help us to pick up on where Satan is trying to get our attention. Help us to notice where we're about to fall and help us to pick ourselves up if we do and keep moving forward, Lord. Thank you for all that you do for us and for loving us. And be with us now and the rest of this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.